Garnet, do you mind grabbing me another bottle of water? I just finished mine off. <coughs> oh, never mind, Garnet. They've got one here for me. Thank you very much. Oh, I sang my voice a little bit dry there. But we're good. We got lots to cover this morning, right? How's everybody doing today? We are going to jump right back into our series on the laws of God. Now, when I wrote this series in, uh, in 2022, when I was planning ahead for what we'd be doing into this year, I wrote it as a five-week series. And we started it in the second week of January. And how many do you know that it's April 16th today? You know, we're still going. And I was kind of like beating myself up a little bit in the office as I was going over my notes. I'm like, oh, God, this is only supposed to be five weeks. And he kind of quickened up into my heart just the example of you just because the world lives by Amazon or Instagram quotes and Facebook quotes doesn't mean that we do. You know, you can have something that's a short, simple statement that goes, oh, that's nice, and that gets you excited for a moment. But what about the foundation that's going to hold you through the storm? You know, I was thinking, Garnet, you were sharing yesterday about picking out your, uh, your, your rubber mats for your gym, and that's all well and great, and that's something you can get excited about, but you still needed the foundation of the house. You still needed the walls. You still needed the roof. So you can't boil the Word of God down to simple one little liner statements and expect that to feed you. That's kind of like living life like Montgomery. He's over here laying on the front. He's not, he doesn't like to eat our meals that we cook. He's a grazer. Oh, I'll have a little carrot stick here and a granola bar there. No, that's not going to hold you through all the playing and the rough and tumbledness that you do with your brothers. Come on. No, you got to have a good meal you got to have a good foundation to work with. So here we are, what, 13 weeks into this series, and you know we're going to keep continuing because there's still more that God wants to get across because the kingdom is so much bigger and it, than our understanding could grasp. And so we have to understand the laws of the kingdom because you're not of this earth anymore. If you believe... If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, the Word of God says that you've stepped out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son, the Son of His love. If you've gone through a residence change and you're now living in a new land and a new nation, you've got to understand the laws that govern that kingdom, which is why Paul said, you are ambassadors for Christ. You're not a representative of this earth and this land and this nation of Canada. You're a representative of heaven here on this earth. And just like diplomats, when they are sent out on behalf of that government, they have diplomatic immunity. They are governed by the laws of the land they came from, not the laws of the land where they are. And so we have to understand that our time spent here on this earth is not to be lived by this world's standards and this world's restrictions. It's meant to be lived by God's laws and God's parameters. And if we think about what just Paul said in, the, in one of his Ephesians prayers, he said that, oh, that we would understand the height, the depth, the breadth, the width of the love of God. And when he was saying that, it was him trying to comprehend the boundaries and he couldn't find them. Come on, the kingdom of God is just so vast, and we think of the, of, of the God of all creation, the creator of this universe, and how this world, is, this universe is still expanding to this day. You will never find the boundaries of God. And that's the kingdom that you now live in, and that you are subject to its laws. 
And as we told you through that many, many weeks ago, when we look at laws, we often see them as restrictions and boundaries. That is not the intention of laws. It's not to restrict you, but to create an environment in which a society can flourish and grow. Now, that's not to say that natural governments in this day are not changing how laws should be, and they're not always for you. Sometimes there are more to keep you under. But when it comes to God's laws, he doesn't keep you under his thumb. He lifts you up with his son. Because Paul said that if you be risen with Christ, you seek those things above. If I be risen with Christ, oh, that means that I'm not sitting here. I'm sitting on the right hand of the Father, just like Paul said, that we've been seated in heavenly places with him. So we put our eyes up. And we look at those laws, the laws that govern his kingdom. And so the definition we've been working from is not the do good, get good laws and do bad, get bad laws. This is the definition of law that we're working from. Laws that are a statement of fact. And the thing about facts is they're not subject to your opinion. You are seated... Right now, at 79 McGill Street North, that is not open to interpretation. This is, ah, is where you are. And so many things are, well, that's your truth. No, there's not your truth and my truth. There is the truth. There's no such thing as subject truth. There's the truth as God sees it and everybody else's opinion, and opinions mean nothing. When we talk about the laws of God, they are statements of fact from Him. Which means your neighbor's opinion doesn't matter. And even better than that, your opinion doesn't matter. Come on. Oh, don't put so much pressure on me, Pastor Jordan. (laughs) Your opinion doesn't matter if it's not what God said. And if it's not what God said... You get to change what you think. That's why Paul said, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Because some of your thoughts might not be accurate. Some of the things you grew up believing and grew up thinking may have been wrong. You know, there's so many examples you can look on the internet of people saying like, oh, I thought this was just normal, what every family did, and then I realized, no, my family was just the messed up one. We all have those. Come on. (laughs) You know, we grew up eating macaroni, hamburg, stewed tomatoes on one night and shepherd's pie on the next and powdered milk to drink because there was six of us and we would finish finish off a thing of milk in 30 seconds. And, you know, I grew up thinking that's how everybody ate. And then I found out, no, people get craft dinner. (laughs) They have fruit roll-ups in their lunch kits. They get Teddy Grahams on their lunches. Come on. Sometimes Harrison and Ben are like, well, why can't I have that? And I'm like, because it may taste good, but it's not good for you. And there's some things of the world that may taste good in the moment, but they're not good for you. So they are laws that are statements of fact in God's eyes, not yours. And they are deduced from observation. And that observation is the observation of the word, which is not subject to your opinion or your feelings or your experience. The word is what it is, it says what it says, and it's true. To the effect that particular phenomenon always occur when certain conditions are present. And the number one condition 
that needs to be present to be subject to the laws of God is that you got saved. All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you haven't done that, you can do that. If you're watching us online, you haven't done that, you can say, Jesus, I need you. I receive you. And you can step from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and receive all that he has for you and be subject to his laws, which are good laws. And so what are those laws that we've covered so far? Law number one, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and the law of death. There is a law of life that is working on your behalf should you choose to accept it. You know, I was watching uh, Mission Impossible with the boys the other day, and they, they bring the mission up, and it, it plays on like a, a little uh, thing in a book, and it re- projects the message and says, this is your mission should you choose to accept it. And the things of God that are available to you are there should you choose to accept them. The law of the spirit of life is working on your behalf, and it's made you free from the law of sin and death. Death doesn't have to have hold on your members. Death doesn't have to have hold on your relationships. Death doesn't have to have hold on your body, in your family, in your finances, whatever. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. John 10, 10. So the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. I better start considering myself free and calling myself free and acting like I'm free and stop acting like I'm still subject to sin and death because the word of God says I'm not. Law number two says that he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, this one will be blessed in what he does. When you look into the Word, it produces freedom in your life. And we said that you can always tell whether the Word has been applied correctly or incorrectly, whether it sets you free from something and to something. If if someone tells you, oh, you can live however you want, they're lying. The Word of God sets you free from all that would try to hold you, all that would try to bound you, hold you back and bind you. You are free. And the perfect law of liberty, when we look into it, will produce freedom. Now, Pastor Wendy's been sharing aspects of her testimony. When she got saved, the Lord set her free from all her addictions. He didn't just say, oh, wait until you get to heaven and it'll all be fine. No, he set her free then, right there, because he sets you free. And it says that you get to choose whether you continue in it or not. We don't have to live on yesterday's revelations and yesterday's blessings. We get to choose to continue. Because it says this one will be blessed in what he does. And so the the context of that is that means when we don't continue, we choose not to continue, we don't look into his perfect law of liberty, we don't walk in the blessings that he's provided for us, even though they're there. When we look into the perfect law of liberty, why is it so perfect? Because when we look into the word, we can't help but find his royal law of love. You can't help but find 
his royal law of love. It was his motivating factor in all things, and it is what he is. God is love. God doesn't have love. He is love. And because God so loved the world, he gave Jesus. And that even when you were stuck in your sins and your trespasses, he came and gave him anyways. In your worst state, he loved you and moved on your behalf. And when you look into the word, you will find his love. It is an unending love. It's an unchanging love. It's a love that doesn't add up all your wrongs. It doesn't keep a record of your wrongs. It doesn't look on you harshly. It doesn't believe the worst of you. It believes the best of you. Come on, read 1 Corinthians 13. That's not about how we love each other. That's how God loves you. It never fails, it never gives up, it never lets up, it never comes to an end. The Word of God will consistently and constantly and forevermore reveal the love of God. It's, his, it's what He is. And from the royal law of love, we moved on to the law of faith where we were for five weeks. And the reason why you had to preach love first is because faith works by love. Not your love, His love. It works because his love never ends for you. It never changes. It's stable day in and day out. And if he loved you yesterday and your faith worked, he loves you today and your faith will work. And it will work for every day of all your existence, forever and ever. Now, we spent a lot of time on the law of faith, and it's because we have to. We have to have a good understanding of faith. Faith is birthed in a heart that responds to the Word of God. The enemy wants you not to respond. He wants you not to act. He wants you to be passive. But everything about faith is active. Now faith is. We looked at John. Now faith is the confidence that we have in him. This is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we have the petitions we've asked of him. Mark 11 says, If any of you say unto this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes the things in which he says, it shall be done for him. Therefore, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. Faith is an active thing. Come on. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but there's so many things I want to say right there. <laughs> faith is active. And faith is important. And that you understand that you need to step up and tell the devil to shut up and say, this is what I am doing, this is what will happen on my behalf, because God has already said it, just like Dylan was talking about. He flipped the switch of faith. He didn't feel like he did good, but he went ahead and aligned his words with what God had said about it. Faith is active. It's always portrayed as a verb. For if we go back to grammar school, that's an action word. If your faith does not have action, James said it's dead or worthless. And so as we went through Hebrews chapter 11, through the hall of fame of faith, it was about by faith this person did this. They acted. By faith they obeyed. 
By faith, they stayed. By faith, they said. By faith, they declared. It was always coupled with an action. And if your faith hasn't moved your mouth and hasn't moved your body, it'll never move your mountain. But faith is so important, and here, we haven't used this verse yet, and we need to use it before we go on. Hebrews chapter 11, 6, verse 11 says this, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. What is diligence? It's consistence in your actions and you're acting. Being diligent, meaning you're consistently moving forward, consistently believing. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence and full assurance of hope until the end, and that you don't become sluggish or passive or inactive, but that you imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You will never inherit the promises of God while sitting on your butt. He said through faith and patience we inherit the promise, and faith is active. Faith is always acting and speaking and believing. It is always firm and unmovable. You know, the Merriam-Webster definition back in the 1800s, the definition that they used to have for faith was an unquestioning belief. There's some things that you need to settle within yourself and say, no, I don't care what you say to me. This is what it is because the Word of God said it. I'm not going to be moved, and I'm not going to go back and question whether this is going to happen or not. He said it. I believe it that settles it and so we don't want to be sluggish or inactive or passive because faith and patience inherit the promises they work together but it's been so long Pastor Jordan have a little patience and stand in faith when having done all to stand, you stand therefore. Because faith and patience, I think as Kenneth Copeland calls them the power twins, faith and patience inherit the promises. The things that he said, it said the Bible says all the promises of God are yes and amen. Not yeah, but maybe. Or yeah, but kinda. Or yeah, no. Yeah, but the promises of God are yes and amen. Let your yes be aligned with his yes and inherit the promises. Amen? So as we ended our last two sessions on the law of faith, we began to talk about the sovereignty of God. And it was very important that we did so and it's important in moving on that we recap it again. Because within the body of Christ, there's this idea that it's a false sovereignty message that says things like, well, if God wanted it to be that way, it would just be that way. And we say that because it's an abdication of our responsibility. Well, if God wants me to be that way, he'll just do it. I can sit here on my butt and do nothing. That is the exact opposite of everything we looked at about faith in those five weeks on the law of faith. 
God is sovereign in that he is the supreme ruler of it all. But as we already told you, and as we looked through in week number one of that, that not everything that God wants comes to pass. There are things that he specifically said, this is my desire, and it is not that way today. There are things, stories throughout the Bible consistently where God said, go and do this, and then someone went and did the opposite. Because there's something that's standing in between what he wants and what happens, and it's called your will. And so it's easy to say, well, God, whatever you want, well, that'll happen. Or you get into a situation where it's like you wanted to go a certain route and the door gets closed in your face. And you think, well, well, God must have something better for me. Or, or, just, just perhaps, or, as Mark 11 said, speak to the mountain. And so if we accept blind passivity we won't stand up when we need to stand up. Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. He didn't say, sit and watch faith unfold. And so when we talk about the sovereignty of God, God is all-powerful, and He is on your behalf every day. He has good plans for you. He loves you. He will never give up on you, but he will never make you do what you don't want to do. And not everything he wants comes to pass. And the reason why that gets so much attention in the body of Christ is because it's a convenient theology. It's a convenient theology because, you know, I heard this when I was younger, many times where people would say, well, you know, humans, we just like no-fault religion. But actually, I've kind of learned that that's not true. We like not-my-fault religion. (laughs) We don't have a problem assigning blame as long as that blame is not on me and is not on you, right? We like to have someone to blame, and God is a convenient one to blame. And after 15 years of pastoring, I found that pastors are an easy one to blame too. (laughs) Rather than taking responsibility for our own actions, our own inactions, and our beliefs, and our unbeliefs, it's easier to say, well, I guess God didn't want that to happen. Or you just gave up. It's convenient. But don't blame God. Believe God. If it's not good, it's not done. Come on. I I really need this to get solidified in our hearts. Don't be inactive. Don't look for someone else to blame. Say, God, I don't understand why things haven't happened this direction. Can you give me wisdom? Or like the man that came to Jesus with his son who needed to be healed, and Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And he said, Lord, I believe. Can you help me with my unbelief? Because it's possible to have two competing beliefs within yourself at the same place. And the one that you exalt and the one that you feed will be the one that will win. 
Brother Hagin used to say that you can have faith in your heart and doubt in your head at the same time. The great thing about what's in your head is you can do something about it. That thoughts don't get to stay. They can be conformed to the Word of God. Right? And so don't let sovereignty, even if you don't use that word for it, become a stumbling block to your faith. The path of least resistance is not always the best path. Just because the path is open before you doesn't mean it's the one to walk. Sometimes the path with the most resistance is the one you're supposed to be going down because the enemy doesn't want you to walk it. So he's throwing the kitchen sink in front of you saying, no, don't do it, don't believe, don't act, don't walk. And he's trying all he can do to stop you from getting any momentum because he knows that once you get going, once you get believing, there's nothing that he can do to stop you. So you may be feeling some resistance right now and you could be saying, why does it feel like I'm hitting the wall? Maybe you should be a little little bit like David and say I can run through the troop and leap over the wall and so the presence of resistance or obstacles does not mean that's not the direction God wants you to go you go back to what he said in his word and what he's spoken to your heart by his Holy Spirit amen Hallelujah. We spent way too much time on this review this morning. <laughs> I won't apologize because it's good and it's needed. Yes. Come on. Yes. I really feel the Holy Spirit is trying to say some things to some people. You may feel like there's a wall in front of you. Yes. So what? They build sledgehammers for a reason. Come on, press on, plant yourself, use your shield of faith to block all the attacks of the enemy, and use your offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to cut down that which sits in front of you. What did the Word say? I said it a number of weeks ago, if you have not looked in the Word, and ask what it says about your situation, you're planning on doing it in your own strength and not his. You definitely can't blame God in that situation. If, if, if you're going through a situation and I ask you, what scripture are you standing on and you can't tell me, that's a bad place to be in. Because if you cared, you could learn. You could find out. If you don't know, you can ask. You can ask the Holy Spirit. Come on. You can ask your pastor. You can ask a friend. What has God said about this? Find it in the Word. Put that Word everywhere. Let your thoughts become centered around it. Bring all your thoughts into subjection. Okay, in moving forward, we need to go a little bit back this morning because obviously we started this back in early January. And so there's some things that we said at the first that we were setting up for this message that we now need to be reminded of. Now, we said Jesus came to declare and to establish the kingdom of God, right? 
He came to declare and to establish the kingdom of God. In Mark 1.14, it says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And so Jesus, after John's death, is like, I got to get moving. We really got to get this done. There's a lot to say and a lot to be done. He began preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. I'm so thankful that it's good news. That's what gospel means, good news. And so he said, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, in the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent means to turn from what you've been fixated on and focus on something different. And what you're supposed to be focusing on is the good news of the kingdom of God. And it says, repent and believe. That's the word pisteo. That is faith in action. It's you putting it to use and actually doing something with it. So turn from what you are fixated on and fixate on the good news of the kingdom of God. I am not a child of this earth any longer. I'm a child of the kingdom. I have stepped out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, the son of his love. I will fixate on that I am of the the kingdom. I will use kingdom resources. I will use kingdom abilities because I'm a kingdom kid. And so the Pharisees begin to have a conversation with Jesus in Luke 17. And it says, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, and he answered to them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. And what he was saying is, you're looking out here. What the Pharisees were asking is, when is the Messiah going to come and sit on the throne of Israel as our king and push these stupid Romans out of our cities and out of our lands? That's what they were looking for. They had similar company in the disciples. After Jesus rose from the dead, and he's about to tell them his last words, they say, is it now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom unto Israel? And he said, guys, guys, it's not, it's not, that's not important. It's not for you to know the times, but you'll receive power once the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so when you're looking externally for validation and verification, you're not going to find it. But when you look into the word and you look internally, you will find the things of the kingdom. Because Jesus said it's not going to be see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. His kingdom would first find its home in them and then produce external changes in their lives. Come on. First in them, and then out of them, and then they begin to see. Most people work on Thomas' faith. Lord, when I see it, I will believe it. And Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and have not yet seen. He came and got on the inside of you with everything he was, everything he ever will be, and all that he has, the entire kingdom, got on the inside of you. So, the kingdom's not coming, the kingdom is here. Jesus said, Lord, I pray on earth as it is in heaven. And then he went to the cross and he did it. He 
did it. So, with moving on to this fifth and final law that we're going to talk about in this series, we have to look at how God and Jesus said the kingdom operates. Because it reveals one of the most important laws and one of God's most used laws. You're probably saying, well, what is that, Pastor Jordan? Well, Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Doing okay? You got a little bit more time in you? Mark chapter 4. And here Jesus says, this is how the kingdom is, or this is how the kingdom operates. The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed onto the ground. The kingdom of God works this way, as if a man would scatter seed. You know, as we move further and further away from an agrarian-based society where most of the people in the cities have absolutely zero idea where their food comes from or how it is produced, we have to maybe break these things down a bit. In order to get a plant, you have to plant a seed. (laughs) You have to make a hole in the ground, stick the seed in, water it, and give it time. That's how farming works. It says the kingdom of God works the same way. It's as if a man would scatter seed on the ground. And he said, and you should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, and he himself does not know how. This is a very important point before we move on. When it comes to seed... And how things grow, you don't have to know how things are going to happen. Your job was the verse before, scatter seed. And it says the seed will sprout and grow, but you don't have to know how. I was reading a great story from Jerry Savelle a few weeks ago. And it bears bears repeating from, because I just, uh, it was so awesome in my heart when I read it. He was, when he was first starting out, he'd only been a minister for a few years, and he was out doing some meetings, and it was a several-day meetings, and as he got up to the first night, God said, we're not taking offerings in these meetings. And he's like, well, I've got budgets to meet God, but I'll do it. And so he preached, it might have been a week, and didn't take up a single offering in any of the meetings, and he, and he left and moved on. He was going on to another place for the weekend, and as he got to the next place, God said, same thing here. We're not taking up offerings here. And he was like, but I've got a budget, God. I've got things to meet. I've got family to feed. What are we doing? And God said, sow this seed for me. And he's like, I'll be obedient. I sow that, whatever we would have usually would have made from those meetings, I sow it into you. And so he finished the two different sets of meetings, and he was driving back home towards Texas. And he was along the interstate, and he was said he was... During the week, he's in his regular clothes. He's not dressed up in a suit. He stops at a diner. And he's like, this is early in my ministry. Nobody knows who I am, really. Very few people know who I am. And so he's like, I sat down, and I'm eating my, eating my food, and all of a sudden, an older couple comes over, and they said, you're Jerry Savelle, aren't you? And he's like, okay, is this one of those good conversations or just one of those bad conversations? And I think that happens a lot. When people recognize you, it's usually... Two different one one could be good and one could be not so good. <laughs> You're not those faith preachers, are you? You're not one of those prosperity preachers, are you? No, but the, they said to him, "You're a Jerry Savelle, aren't you?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I am." And they're like, "That's just so amazing." 
And he's like, well, why is that? He's like, well, yesterday, God asked us to sow a large amount of money into your ministry. And as we were writing the check to send, put it in the mail, God said, no, that won't get there quick enough. So we didn't send it, and we still have it. And we're like, God, you told us to sow, but then told us not to send it. And now here you are in the same restaurant as us. And so he knew he had the budget to, to make, right? He had a family to feed, and God said, no, I want you to sow this seed. And it's easy for us then to go, well, then how are you going to come through, God? How are you going to make up for that, God? It's not your uh, uh, job to know how right. it's going to happen. Yes. Just that seed grows. Yes. Yeah. And so the kingdom works as a man sows seed. And he should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, and he himself does not know how. For the earth yields its crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then after the full grain, in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And so the person was only involved in two parts of that process— Planting the seed and receiving the harvest. You don't have to make things happen. When it comes to faith, you believe God. You don't worry about the details. God, how's it going to happen? How are you going to heal my body, God? It's not your job. It's your job to believe. And then he said, to what should we liken the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we picture it? It's like a mustard seed. When it's sown in the ground, it's smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and it becomes greater than all the herbs and the shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And so the kingdom of God and law number five that the kingdom operates under is the law of sowing and reaping. Jesus said that is how we liken the kingdom. That is how God will operate in kingdom things no matter what the category is. You sow seeds, you reap harvest. You sow seeds of righteousness, you reap holiness and righteousness and godliness in your life. You spend time sowing those seeds into your thoughts about how God supplies all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You'll receive a harvest from that. You'll begin to have a prosperity mindset versus a poverty mindset. You sow unto healthy living, you will reap a healthy body. Come on. This is how the kingdom operates in every area. And so we told you back in week number one of this series that when God was doing the story of creation, he created a planet, but he planted a garden. Genesis chapter one, he separates the waters from the land. He gives the birds the air. He gives the fish the sea. He gives the animals the land. And then he plants a garden to put his prized creation in. Six days, God looked and said it was good. He created mankind and said it was very good. And so in Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, and according to our likeness, and let them have dominion 
over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and ev over every creeping thing that creeps on this earth. Here's how the Amplified Bible says it, the classic edition. God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we've talked about in the series how they always agree with one another, make mankind in our image, after our likeness, and let them have complete authority over. When God created this planet, he didn't intend to be the one running it. And that's when we're coming back to sovereignty, where they say, oh, whatever God wants. No, he didn't plan on running this earth. He gave mankind complete authority over it. Now, we know mankind screwed up. And they gave that authority to the devil. But thank God for Jesus, who conquered death, hell, and the grave. He triumphed over them. It says he rose up with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he said, all authority has been given unto me. You take it and go. When we look at the garden, we find God's intention for you. And that's for you to rule. He gave you complete authority. And he said, you have dominion. You rule over it. And that's why the message of faith is so important. That's you standing up and saying, no, devil, I'm the boss. Not you. You had your time. You did what you could. You still lost. And so God went ahead and did what he wanted to do. He created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him, male and female. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. In what areas? In all areas. Fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? Whatever you want. I planted a garden for you. What do you want to see outside this garden? Come on, stick with me a little bit. Fill the earth, subdue it, or reign over it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on this earth. And God says, see, see, see. What he was doing is, guys, look, this Heart is important. See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, and to you it shall be for food. Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 both have creation stories. Chapter 1 is the general overarching details of the story. The creation of the earth, the creation of the sky, the creation of the animals, the creation of the fish, light and darkness being separated, man. Genesis 1 was the general. Genesis 2, he gives you the details. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says, And God formed man out of the dust of the ground, 
and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. He breathed a part of himself, and man became a living spirit. Man came alive because God put part of himself in man. And the Lord God planted a garden in eastward in e called Eden. And he put man in it whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree to grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15, Then the Lord God took man and he put him into the garden to tend and to keep it. Now, those are important words. Tend and keep. The first one, tend, means to work in the garden. Now, when you think about working in a garden today, you think about having to prepare the soil, bust up the weeds, get it all softened, put a little fertilizer in there, get it ready. That's not how they had to tend the garden. This is before the fall. They didn't have to toil in their growing of, the so of things out of the soil until after the fall. But God still expected them to be active and at work in the garden. Doing what? Causing it to spread. Tend it, work it. And to keep it. Generally, when we, the word there for keep is shamar. And people often interpret it to guard. And guard can be one of the definitions of that word. But the word shamar, in its primary definition, to keep is to be in charge of. God put them in a garden. He says, see here, guys, I give you all the seeds. You be in charge of what this looks like. Let's keep going. There's still a little bit more here. And it says, The Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely. This is an often overlooked point. But what do we know about fruit and vegetables that grow on trees? Their seeds are inside them. Their seeds are inside them. So in order to get at the seed, you have to partake of what God has provided. Think about that for a second. In order to get at the seed, you have to be first be willing to receive what God has already provided for you. Come on, we can fast forward to the New Testament where Paul says God supplies seed to the sower. Come on. He supplies seed to the sower. In the Word of God, He's already told you so much. But until you recognize that it's meant to be partaken of, you won't be finding those seeds. 
And so for them, in order to tend and keep the garden, they first had to taste of the garden. They had to be like, okay, here's an apple. Hmm, that was pretty good. Okay, what's the difference between the yellow one, the red one, and the green one? Oh, I like the green one. Let's plant some more of those ones. Oh, look at these little berries that are coming up. Okay, we got a red one that's a little more round. This one looks more triangular. That one's black. Oh, I don't like that one. That's too seedy. I like these strawberries. Come on. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And the more you partake of what he's provided, to be like, I want more of that. I want more of those seeds of righteousness in my life. I want more of that God's provision because it's way better than man's provision. I want that God health in my body because it's much better than me working in the gym every day. That's important, but God has health beyond that. He will sustain you. He will keep you. And as the Bible said, with long life, he will satisfy you and show you his salvation. And so in the day that you live in right now, God has so much for you to partake of. Go ahead and taste and say, yes, God, I receive your healing. Yes, God, I receive that provision. And then don't be satisfied. Start sowing seeds and let that garden grow. Hallelujah. Because the kingdom of God works on the, king, the law of sowing and reaping. Now, as we move on to this next week, we're going to look at how God used seed. Because it's not something he just tells you to do. It's something he does himself. And if it's good for daddy, it's good for son, daughter. He'll show you by example why it's worthwhile. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you provided for us in Christ Jesus. Uh, we know that we do not suffer lack in any area. That you said that if you did not hold back your own son, God, that how shall you not with him also freely give us all things? And so, Father, we thank you for what we already have. I don't treat it as though I've got nothing. I don't treat it as I'm standing in lack in any area of my life. Lord, you are my full supply. And so I thank you for it right now in Jesus' name. We give you all glory in this place right now, Lord. We thank you that you are great and greatly to be praised. Yes. Oh, Jesus, we magnify your name, Lord. You are so good, Lord, so good, Lord. And your mercies are new every morning. We thank you, Lord, that daily you load us with your benefits. We thank you, Lord, I receive what you have for me today. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We give you praise, honor, and glory. He has placed you back in his intention that was in the garden. When he told them to tend and to keep it, he has restored you back to that place. You are the gardener of your life. What do you want to see die? And what do you want to see thrive? Come on. You can let the weeds triumph. Or you can have some good, good fruit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor Robin, wrap us up. Oh, glory.
I'm going to do a little preemptive here on the law of sowing and reaping as we take up the offering. Amen. So let's look at um, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. And it says this, Give, and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will men will, will, will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Now, this, in the context of this scripture, it doesn't specifically, it's not talking about, it's not specifically talking about finances, but it's included in this. But what else is in this is what you sow is love, compassion, kindness, mercy, forgiveness, righteousness. And as it says in Galatians 6, it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. Amen. And this is a kingdom principle. It's one of the laws of the kingdom of God under sowing and reaping. Amen? Amen? And a third witness to that would be in Proverbs 11, where it says, he who scatters. Amen? He who scatters will receive more than he that holds back. Amen? It's so cool. You've got to love this whole Genesis process of, of sowing and reaping. And I'm so glad you're heading in that direction. Because we also need to hear this and to solidify in our lives that this is the way that da our daddy does it. We need to do the same. Amen? Amen. All right. So a couple of ways you can give online, wordchurch.slive forward slash give and or the envelope in the, in the pew in front of you. And uh, there's a basket at the back. Amen? Amen. Amen. Glory. It's a good day. It's a good day. Amen. You're blessed.